0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisat, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Ben, that doesn't sound very enthusiastic. I'm sure he's going to pick up the pace once I tell him to tell you what kind of publications he writes for. Ben, hit me with it.
1: Uh, you can find my work at Motor Trend, Automobile, Super Street, and Haggerty Classic Car.
0: And as for myself, well, you can find my latest um, writings on autotrader.ca, and I've been having a lot of fun uh, at that publication. This week, we're going to talk about some um, interesting cars, as always. I'm going to start with the BMW 2 Series Grand Coupe. I drove a prototype of this vehicle, um, which means it wasn't quite finished, but more or less. It was pretty finished, and well, I'm going to explain well, to all of our listeners and Ben, who surely has a question about the brand, the Grand Coupe Two Series. What this car is, why it matters, and whether or not you should enjoy it. Ben, what my, do you, what's my, the problem?
1: Here? Well, my question is, what's a Grand Coupe? Like we have a Two Series Coupe and a Two Series Cabriolet. Mm-hmm. What is this Grand Coupe, and is it? And, and can I say Coupe? Do I have to say Coupe?
0: <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Okay. I guess you can say Coupe if you want. Okay. Uh, I'll probably change back and forth between different pronunciation of it. The 2 Series Grand Coupe is the uh, four-door entry-level compact sedan in BMW's lineup. So in the past, the 2 Series was a two-door coupe. It was a sporty car with rear-wheel drive and an optional all-wheel drive system. But there's a four-door version coming out, the Grand Coupe or Grand Coupe, as I said earlier, which... Will compete directly with the likes of the Mercedes CLA and maybe the Audi A3 as well. So it, it, I don't like where this is going. You said the
1: coupe is rear wheel drive. Is the I, two series not rear wheel drive? Is the two series Grand Coupe on a different platform entirely? It is
0: on a completely different platform. So they didn't just the d- stretch coupe. out. The, they didn't just stretch out the coupe platform. No. Okay, that's confusing. <laughs> It is very confusing, so it's, so two, series in, the, it's two series it's two series in name only name only okay, and so what it uses it's a front wheel drive platform, but the models that we're going to be getting in North America are going to be all wheel drive it's going to be using the front wheel drive based platform uh front wheel drive platforms so that's I, that's the best way to describe it These are going to be all wheel drive vehicles
1: I have a suspicion that I want to run by you sure does this platform by any chance happen to be related to a mini of some kind?
0: Um, you're not wrong. The, it's more, I think, it, I believe it's more in line with the X1 and X2, which are also mini platforms. Uh, that's where they, would they started off. Life, so, so, so
1: it's a lowered SUV platform.
0: <laughs> I guess so, is the well, best way to
1: say it. Well, we like the X2, right? Like the X2 is fun in a lot of yeah. ways. We, we call it a hot hatch. Yep. Uh, and I'll say
0: that this car does feel... Um, The version I drove was the M235i version, so basically the higher trim level of what uh, BMW will be offering with the 2 Series Grand Coupe, Um, and it was actually pretty good to drive. It felt exactly what I wanted the CLA to feel like, okay? Now, I know that doesn't really explain a lot. (laughs) It's a very uh, personal uh, evaluation. The CLA is Mercedes entry-level vehicle. It, too, was front-wheel drive-based. It offered all-wheel drive. Um, and it was supposed to be an affordable um, Mercedes. And you know what? They achieved the affordable Mercedes part or a $30,000 car. But it never – and it felt actually pretty sporty. But it also felt really unrefined. And it didn't really feel fun to drive. Is that the best way to describe the CLA when when you had it?
1: We've ben? gone deep into the depths of how I feel about the CLA. Okay. So I don't think I, I need to reiterate any of that. I, I don't want to dredge up that
0: negativity. OK, so then <laughs> I think it sounds about right where the Merce- the and it's actually taken a long time for BMW to enter this segment um, with a vehicle. The the CLA is entering its second generation very soon and um, Audi has had an A3 for a very long time as well, although the sedan was just kind of recent. For BMW to be kind of late to this, they had to deliver something that was going to be definitively better than what the competition offers. And I think this new 2 Series is it. But you really have to wrap your head around the – it's not rear-wheel drive-based. It's front-wheel drive-based, but it's all-wheel drive. So so that
1: 235, does that mean it has a horizontally mounted six-cylinder under the hood? What's the deal?
0: Of course not, Ben. Come on. This is BMW we're talking about. None None of their names make sense, right? Right. Insert silence. <laughs> like the uh, X2 M35i, this is a four-cylinder engine. It makes 301 horsepower, 332 pound-feet of torque, and it uses an 8-speed automatic transmission. As a result, it, it hits 0 to 60 in 4.7 seconds, which isn't slow at all. No, that's very fast. Um, and this is interesting to talk about because the CLA has a, a full-fledged AMG version of the car, um, which has 365 horsepower, which is a ton of horsepower. And it's a much better version of the car, to be it honest. It is probably the better version of the CLA. It is the best version of the CLA. But this car hasn't, the, the two series hasn't yet reached the full-fledged M status, and I really don't know what to say about that. I think the M2, the rear-wheel drive coupe, is a better performance vehicle than the Grand Coupe can ever be. So we're just getting into a whole different can of worms in that regard, aren't we?
1: Well, I, my my biggest question about the Grand Coupe is, is it a hatchback? No, it's, uh, it's a sedan. Mm, that's unfortunate because one of the things I like the most about the 4 Series Grand Coupe is it's a yeah. legitimate hatchback with tons of room inside. Like, it's a very useful vehicle. And for a smaller vehicle like the 2 Series, you'd figure you'd want to kind of amplify as much cargo space as possible, especially if it's coming from a crossover platform.
0: Absolutely. It makes sense, right? But no, this has uh, a sedan... Uh, I mean, a, a, tr- a sedan-like trunk, a normal trunk, um, with those big goose uh, gooseneck hinges, I think is the best way to describe them, that mm. kind of impede in cargo space yeah. in the way that they, they're applied. But the car has folding rear seats. It has 15.9 cubic feet of storage, and uh, there's also an under-storage uh, tray area as well.
1: Which means no spare tire. <laughs>
0: no spare tire, yes. That's what that means. Okay. Well, so what's it like to drive? Um, it's surprisingly agile. It feels like um, it feels pretty planted. It doesn't feel like the rear-wheel drive two series ever do, does did, which I think is um is an issue because you've got cars with the same names but with drastically different performance characteristics, right? Well, I mean BMW has done this before.
1: If you look at the one of our favorites on the podcast, the six series Grand Coupe. Or oh, sorry, not the Grand, 6 Series Grand Coupe, the 6 Series GT. Yeah. <laughs> which is a mishmash of 5 Series and 7 Series platform parts, right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, we really like it, uh, even though it's super weird. Uh, so BMW has a history of kind of just looking at its parts bin and saying, how can we make something unique that maybe people will want to buy? So I can kind right. of get that with this version of the car. Although, at the very least, the the GT, it shared a lot of... Um, personality with the vehicles it was based on and from what you're describing it doesn't really sound like there's any link between the two series coupe and the grand coupe
0: no very little in fact i will admit though the car does feel surprisingly agile it does feel pretty no i wouldn't say performance oriented but it has a lot of performance oriented features it has a torsen limited slip differential for the front wheels i believe that will help mitigate um uh torque steer I mean, this is a car with 300 horsepower in a front-wheel drive platform, so you've got to to manage that. And that um, all-wheel drive system only splits the drive 50 50 at maximum; otherwise, um, it'll be sending most sending most of the power to the front wheels.
1: Okay, so it's 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 an adaptive system. It's not it's it's not a constant split.
0: Yeah, and then there's something to talk about um, just how tight the car feels, really uh, tied together is the best way to put it. There's a lot of um, bracing that helps the car feel much more agile and responsive than the CLA would. Um, that's mainly because there's special bracing in the front axle and the tunnel. There's an um, anti-roll bar um, with a lot of, they call it high preload, which helps, have it, uh, helps with the support for the vehicle's sort of chassis. And then there's the M sport suspension and M steering, which are also available, helping the car feel um, a little bit more, I guess... I don't want to say sporty so much, but that's the way that they would describe it. It just feels a little bit more um, engaging to drive. So
1: is the M235i the only version that's going to be coming to North America?
0: No, there's going to be a less powerful version of the car called the 228i X-Drive, which will feature 228 horsepower and 258 pounds of torque. And it will still be all-wheel drive? It will still be all-wheel drive, yeah. Okay. It'll do 0 to sixteen four in in six Seconds. Which well, that's a huge difference. <laughs> it's a huge difference. Yeah. So I I'm worried um, because one of my because honestly my, one of my favorite cars um, of the last two years has been the two series and the M2 and I thought they were great um, entry level perf- luxury sports coupes. I thought they were really fun to drive. I thought they looked really good. Um, and the Grand Coupe does not have that same presence that the 2 Series Coupe has. It didn't feel as sporty as a Coupe would. I don't know how this would feel on track. Um, and, you know, considering it has a bunch of features to prevent it from, um, from feeling steer, I have some suspicions about how the car would really feel in some, in some track or high-performance situations. I, I had a very brief drive with it. This is the way it is with prototypes. Um, and then, as mentioned, the trunk space is an is a interesting change as well. Is it a bad thing to say that this car feels like the X-Tube, just like a sedan? No. I think that's exactly the best way to describe it. It feels like the X-Tube, but in the shape of a sedan. So that means you get less body, less body roll. But... Do you lose a little bit of personality in the process. Yeah,
1: and I and you know, part of what we liked about the X2 was that kind of funky hatchback styling and, and how it looked and, and how it was uh, – not just how it looked, sorry, but it was practical. So yeah. you're kind of like it's – a, it's a less practical X2 – with less personality. So mm-hmm. I guess BMW is going for volume here, um, which makes sense because very few people buy coupes and even fewer people buy cabriolets. And I think the 2 Series convertible is on its way out. I think it's being canceled. I think that's
0: right, too. I mean, so, it, that's the way of the market, too, right? Yes. Yeah. That's just the way it
1: is. So uh, I hope it does well. I don't have anything against this idea of BMW entering this market. I think Audi did it very well with the A3, which I... I actually like uh, much more than the CLA. So if if BMW can follow in Audi's footsteps, which is the the big difference for me was the A3 felt like a smaller A4, whereas Mm -hmm. the CLA did not feel like a smaller C-class. No. And I think that that was a a major mistake. So would you say that the 2 Series Grand Coupe feels anything like a 3 Series from behind the wheel?
0: No, I don't think it feels like that at all. Oh man. So that's that's But uh, that that comes with its pros and its cons. I mean, you've driven the latest 3 series as well and it's it's okay. Um it's actually qu- I found it to be quite good. I don't Yeah, think it's, you, it's, it's it's quite a good that. sedan, but I mean, okay. I would want a 2 series to be a smaller version of that. No, it still feels like a compact like a smaller compact, a little bit more paired out in some regards, uh, just with the with the driving feel, but I think maybe the interior is, is he's seventy five eighty percent there,
1: and what are we so that's looking What are we looking at in terms of pricing?
0: I had the pricing. Let me just uh, reiterate it here, or have I lost it because I'm, that's just how I podcast Maybe now. it's maybe it's with all those oh lead, yeah those so leaders. There is, actually there is no pricing yet. It will be coming out closer to March when the car debuts uh, in its full form and is is on the market so okay. March. That 's how far in advance i've got to dri- this dri- got to drive this car
1: was there anything else that you feel you want to say about it
0: I mean it's weird because to me the the crossover segment has become so strong for so many um, automakers so for them to take the x2 and sh- and and lower it and give it a, um, a trunk seems like a really interesting development do you see a lot of auto- you don't see a lot of automakers taking The platform that's used in a crossover and applying it to a sedan, you usually see it the other way around. Well,
1: No, but you do see a lot more automakers going to one platform for all of their vehicles. Volkswagen is a perfect example. I think a huge portion of those are on MQB, but there's also a variant of that platform that's out now. So they're kind of a two-platform company. Uh, Subaru, I think, is going to a single platform for everything except the BRZ, which is kind of a... Uh, a holdover so it's it's not you know, I, I in that sense i kind of see the the bmw investing in this mini slash suv platform and then being like how else can we make money with this so th- i can understand that
0: i'm also interested to see whether or not like when we talk about the, the mini clubman and countryman are those considered crossovers i would call them crossovers yeah definitely so, what weirds me out is that there is yet to be an all-wheel drive mini um, non-crossover. Just regular mini, right? Like, well, no kid mini Cooper.
1: Yeah, but I think the Cooper's on a different platform entirely. And I don't think so, it's it has space for it.
0: I would I would be interested to see how they would... Uh, if they would incorporate that platform into the normal size mini or the normal mini. I don't because, think... Because... Sorry, go on. Because my favorite thing about... Um, I really enjoy the way the countrymen and the club men drive, and actually almost all minis. I think they drive so much better than people give them credit for. It. They're absolutely some of the most engaging vehicles to drive. And then when BMW gets their hands on the platform like they did with the um, X2 and X1, they sucked out all of the fun um, until we got that M235 X2, which was much more... It had a more distinct personality, but to me still wasn't as, as goofy and, and charismatic as the countryman was
1: i don't think we're going to see an all-wheel drive version of the cooper because i don't think the price point can allow it i think yeah. they're already very much at the ceiling of what they can ask for that car but the other thing too is if you do that then who's going to buy the countryman
0: that's true too so i mean i would be curious because i think they can they i think mini buyers actually seem pretty excited about minis and will pay any price for them so wow <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I just think that's what the the brand equity that they've built over so many years that they can increase the prices um, as long as their cars are still great to look at and fun to drive. I think people will end up paying, them, paying so, for
1: them. So speaking of brand equity, Sammy, yes. uh, the vehicles that I want to talk about this week are two SUVs that are punching way above what their brand equity might have once suggested. But I think we're in the middle of a redefinition for both of these companies in terms of what customers are going to start expecting from both of them.
0: Okay. That was Uh, a very
1: convoluted sentence. Yeah. All of that to say, uh, I drove the 2020 Hyundai Palisade and the 2020 Kia Telluride back-to-back. Right.
0: I spent a week with each of them. Sammy, you've driven both these vehicles already. Yep, and I drove them back-to-back, but in a shorter span of time than you did. You had much more time with them. So I drove top-spec versions
1: of each, which I think is the SX version of the Telluride and the limited version of the Palisade. I think that's the the top-spec. But I want to get a couple things out of the way. So these are three-row crossover SUVs, uh, full-size. Well, mid-size, I guess, technically, but they're big. Um, They both have the same engine. It's a 291-horsepower V6 they both come with all-wheel drive. You can get a front-wheel drive model in the in the base. Uh, they're both. I can't remember if I mentioned it. They're that they're both three row. But the other intriguing thing is the top tier models both come in at under fifty thousand dollars. And for that amount of money, you are getting so much gear with these vehicles. And uh, the first one I drove was the Palisade, and the Palisade is the one that impressed me the most. I think the exterior styling and the interior cabin. Of the Palisade is a cut above what anyone would expect from Hyundai, and I think you're verging on near near luxury. I mean, so slow I, it down for me.
0: You're going you're going wild now. I, I know, want. To, I, I need to talk. Wild. I need to talk about these cars. First of all, the you said you drove the the Palisade first, and it it delivers a really good strong impression the moment you you look at it and the moment you get in. Right, like yeah, it feels. It's you, there's something about what they did in the cabin that is. That that's where they punched above their their weight class for sure. And it has perforated
1: leather on the door panels on in case your door, door panels panel
0: start sweating. <laughs> yes. And then I don't know if you saw the details in the knobs and the controls. They're it 's actually quite high quality that 's something i know it 's a small detail, and probably a lot of people think you 're nuts for for getting so um, intimate with the controls of the vehicle, but they really do feel and and operate like a high end piece of no they, they
1: really went they really went ham on the whole thing um, there 's a couple things about the interior i don 't like like the push button uh, the, the push button gear selector is a little confusing. And the Chrome buttons that are underneath – the buttons that control like the climate and everything that are on the the center console, those are like any other Hyundai, which is fine because uh, this is any other Hyundai. And we just have to get used to the fact that this is what Hyundais look like on the inside now. Um, Mm -hmm. It has a 12-inch gauge cluster, full digital gauge cluster for the driver. In, in the limited model that looks fantastic. Everything you touch feels soft. It feels like it was planned. I mean, obviously, there's some parts and stuff that I just mentioned. But mm. in general, this, <laughs> this is an ultra-competitive vehicle. I, I'm i really struggling right now to think, if someone asked me, I need a three-row crossover and I have $50,000 to spend,
0: I don't know what else I would recommend over this vehicle. It's Really difficult. So I mean, I guess your I guess your your verdict when you drove the two back to back is that the the palisade was the better pick for you. Well, there are a couple things that push me towards the palisade. I'll, I should talk about
1: the telluride. The telluride has very unique exterior styling. Uh, I know, Sammy, you prefer it. Is that correct?
0: I actually, I prefer the, yeah, I do prefer the exterior styling of the Telluride and I found the interior differences and the driving differences to be so minimal that I, I would, I would actually prefer the Telluride. I think it looks cooler. Um, and it feels just as good as the,
1: I, I found the interior of the Telluride wasn't up to the same level as the Hyundai, uh, has, it, it relied a lot more on, on harder accents. Like it has wood on the dash that, I mean, it's not real wood, but you know, it has wood like elements on the dash instead of leather. It has an actual shifter, which I appreciated, but the, um, gauge cluster, it's analog, full analog. It felt a little lower rent. And so did the controls for the rest of the features in the vehicle. It just wasn't quite. They're they're at the same price point, and I found that the Hyundai just kind of pushed forward in terms of making me feel like I was driving something special, whereas the Telluride was very good, but it didn't feel as special. And I don't normally, for me, it's not normally like that with Kia. I uh, I typically appreciate their interior design, so it, it's strange because the Telluride is good. But if I had to pick, I would be picking the Palisade.
0: Interesting. Um, do you did you have any different? Did you feel any difference with the way they drove? I
1: thought that the Telluride transmission tuning was a little yeah. bit laxer. Did you
0: feel that? Yeah, one hundred percent. I don't know about laxer. I would say that it was. Um, smoother, it was a little bit softer in the way that it changed gears um, and it felt more refined I don't know why that is, I don't know if that was because the, the Tellurides we have are, easy, are earlier production or something like that and they haven't had all of their issues sort of um, sorted out but to me the, the Palisade just felt a little bit more buttoned down with the driving feel um, in comparison
1: there's a couple other things too. The Hyundai has a power folding third row. Yeah, it's pretty it's cool. Slow, though. It's slow, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> I actually used it, uh, and I I was hauling some family around in the vehicle, and there was plenty of room for everybody. And we we're just kind of playing around with a lot of the features. My my mother owns a uh, a Hyundai SUV, so it was kind of interesting for her to see. She has a um, a Santa Fe, and mm-hmm. uh, she was curious about you know this larger version of of, of a Hyundai's family vehicle. But um, I, I have to say I was super impressed with this vehicle. I, I can't. I haven't driven the the Lincoln. What is it?
0: The Aviator. Yeah.
1: Which is uh, is is the Aviator three rows? It is. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, and it's based a, a bit on the Explorer, which is another car that I haven't driven either. Yeah, um, I haven't driven. I haven't either. driven both of these, and these seem to be pretty competitive too. Yeah, so. definitely
1: there's more engine choice um, mm-hmm. and there's more performance models available with the Explorer, but the Lincoln is a lot more expensive if memory serves. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this is kind of a, a, a truck that's going up against, I mean, in terms of versus a pilot, the Palisade blows the pilot away.
0: Absolutely. I can't think of another uh, three-row crossover in the mainstream segments that is that is mm, a better pick than these. Than no,
1: these. and it's, it's strange to say that because the pilot is a very good vehicle. And yeah. the Chevrolet Traverse is another very yeah. good vehicle. Uh, and this Hyundai is a cut above. And I think the Telluride is even a cut above the 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 pilot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and and I can't believe I'm saying that. It it what what's what's most shocking about this is these vehicles came out of nowhere. They this isn't an evolution of something that Hyundai has been working on over time. I mean, we had the Santa Fe and then we had the Santa Fe XL, and those that was the three row version. But these were not genre changing vehicles i mean the santa fe xl was just a bigger santa fe which is a perfectly good mid size crossover the palisade is something that raises the bar in the segment and it's the first try and i can't stress how shocking that
0: is um there's something that needs to be said about um that what you just said is hyundai's been like building up to this they had the Veracruz. They had the Santa Fe. They had the Santa Fe XL. This feels n- like it feels nothing like these. No, those not a,
1: there's no familial link between any of those models and the Palisade, which is amazing to me. It, it almost feels like the Palisade is a Genesis that escaped yeah. early and they gave it a <laughs> They gave it a Hyundai badge for some reason. I mean, yeah. I'm having a hard time trying to figure out how Genesis is going to improve on this vehicle. I, I have a few suggestions. I mean...
0: I, I think I said the same thing in, when we were talking about them too, but go ahead. But mine
1: would be drivetrain. I would want yeah. I would want more power and i want something smoother for both of the vehicles.
0: Just I something. Mean, just something extra, right? Like, yeah.
1: It's perfectly acceptable. It does the job. It's not exciting. I don't need it to be exciting. But if you're going to make a Genesis version, I think maybe you'd want it to be a bit exciting. And I think maybe that's where the, the aviator will pull ahead of
0: the Palisade because it's going to have a ton of power. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um and then there's the there's the um do you think these things are off-road capable in any in any specific way they've got this button and this knob that says oh it'll work in the in this in the mud in the snow yeah it in, has a you know, different drive mode selected. Yeah. do you think this is going to be like a jeep kind of thing no like, not uh, at all no. not at all
1: i don't think oh. i think the only legitimate off-roaders in the only legitimate three row off-roaders around this price point is
0: probably the Forerunner. Yeah, and this isn't... In fact, actually, that's a really important thing to bring up. The Forerunner, which is not a crossover, but an SUV. And same with the Tahoe and Suburban. Which are a lot bigger. These feel closer... These two cars that we're talking about, the Telluride and the Palisade, feel a little bit closer to what those cars are, which are like these true big, bulky, powerful, spacious... Well, um, yeah, minus
1: the powerful. I I think that
0: when you drive them... you get a V8. Tahoe can't you
1: yeah well I mean you can only get V8 Tahoes. <laughs> yeah. the the drive the drivetrain train in these two vehicles is definitely a, a, a point of separation from from uh, a traditional SUV um not just in terms of power but in terms of how they feel and how Sammy was saying earlier how they deliver the power yeah but uh it, the forerunner the is, is an exception it's there's I think it's it's still body on frame I think. I think so. um, and the the Grand Cherokee is another vehicle that is has definite off road chops, but it's not three row. It's it's still it's still a two row. There's the Durango, which is based on an extended version of the Grand Cherokee's platform, but it's not really an off road vehicle at all. So no. And and I think that the Durango, in comparison to these vehicles, I mean, it, it's quicker. That you can get an SRT model if you want, but it's not nearly as refined, and the interior is not even close to being as nice.
0: Yeah. So let's um. Just keep this podcast rolling. Uh, again, as always, we're going to be, or, or moving forward, we're going to be taking, tackling some uh, listener questions. So Ben, this week we've got some comments from, from people about, well, Honda Civics of all things.
1: So, we had a question come in from Brad who wanted to talk to us about something we had said actually quite a long time ago when we were talking about Honda Civic SIs. Now, Sammy, you and I both know there have been hits and misses when it comes to the SI. And uh, one of those misses is one we've talked about a lot on the show. Um, that's the t- 2012 model that came out right around the recession. Like, it, it had been under design when the recession hit in 2008, 2009. Honda yeah. thought that they were going to have to come out with a low spec car so that people would, you know, they weren't necessarily wanting to spend a lot of money on an entry level vehicle. Turned out they were wrong and all the other compact cars came out with tons of features and Honda had to do an emergency refresh. thieves. <laughs> Yeah, it was a very expensive whoopsies, but kudos to Honda for stepping up and owning it. But we had Brad wanted to talk to us about a car that came out just before that. And that's the 2011 version of the SI, which was the last SI to have 197 horsepower, two liter high revving engine. Okay. Um, the, that engine was replaced with a similar power but not as exciting 2.4 for the poverty spec car we were just talking about Right. so uh, I had said that it was a missed opportunity from Honda and I wish it, ha- it had been better um, I think I was probably re- re- just talking about in general Honda never really pushed past that 197 horsepower they kind of stayed on that car was in the market for quite a while since 2006 and the market had changed quite a bit but um, Brad says that he's had a lot of luck Autocrossing it, he's right. taken taken podiums against tenth gen Civics. So I guess that's the current model that's out now. Um, Fiesta STs, even some Porsches in in his region. Uh, he says I should probably give it a second chance. He kept the power stock, but he added stickier tires, uh, a, big, a big rear sway bar, and Coney Yellow shocks, which I actually have on my Datsun. Um, and they're also, good.
0: They're good. You, you find them good suspension, huh? Yeah. Well,
1: I I, I broke one, but uh, other than that, um, they've been pretty reliable for me. Uh, he
0: says that. He's, <laughs> other than them breaking, you were they were pretty reliable. Uh, one out I like of four that. is not bad.
1: <laughs> but uh, he, he he's switching to a 2019 WRX for next year, which is going to be a different class for him. Street. Touring, oh wow! And that's going to be a big change because that is a very different car. Sammy, when's the last time you went autocrossing?
0: Uh, I can't remember the last time I went autocrossing. Uh, with my own products or my own cars uh competitively or anything like that but i have done some autocrosses with um uh on some manufacturer events and um i i'm trying to think here i think we we did a little bit of kind of like a rally cross in, with infinity a short while ago which was kind of cool but Talk to me about what you what your experience is with, is with autocross. You used to autocross a lot, right? I
1: used to, yeah. It was kind of my gateway into motorsports uh, back mm-hmm. in, like, I think 2008 I first started. I had a BMW E34, and then I switched to a Miata, and I did all the evolution schools and a bunch of other schools, and uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I don't do it as much anymore because I, I do... Um, my, my track stuff instead my road course stuff but every once in a while it's fun to, to compete against guys like friend of the show brad eiger who is a big autocross nerd and um has a huge uh chip on his shoulder about being somewhat faster than me every once in a while so i enjoy that i i in montreal i i'm not familiar with what do you mean by show? somewhat faster if he's faster he's faster Oh, what are you now? This is a Dominic Toretto winnings winning type situation. Exactly. Well, let's okay. just say sometimes he's faster and sometimes he's not. How about that? Okay,
0: so sometimes he's faster.
1: But uh, yeah, I, I think the WRX is going to be fun uh, in autocross. I think it's going to be really different, and it's going to be so different. It's going to be a challenge to to learn how to get that same level of speed out of it as as you did out of the SI. So, Brad, thanks for writing it about that. And uh, I wish I saw more Civics at the racetrack. I see them in Quebec. Um, locally, there's a lot of very fast Civics, mostly 6th Gen, 7th Gen cars. But uh, in, in the US, when I'm on the track, I don't see nearly as many of them. There's there's less front-wheel drive to begin with. Yeah. But most of the stuff I see is a lot more modern, and uh, it tends to be turbocharged. So I, I haven't seen... I'm seeing Type R's, but I haven't seen anything from the 8th Gen out there.
0: Uh, I also wanted to bring up something that Brad said that was really important, is that he changed the tires on his... On his vehicle, and that makes for a huge change um, to the way the car behaves. So much so that I think I was talking to you and about this earlier: is that when the ninth gen Civic came out, they, the SI had an HFP version of the car with Michelin um, um, Super Sport tires, which were really impressive. Uh, I think they're Super Sport tires that were really, really, really good, and uh, they really changed the. Yeah, Michelin Pilot Super Sport tires, which is insane to put on a Civic. Um,
1: it's definitely the most cost-effective upgrade you can make to any car
0: yeah so if you're going i mean if we if we weren't so impressed if we weren't if we were unimpressed with it sorry changing the tires would make it such a drastic difference um with the vehicle that it would it would be night and day and i really hope that he continues that success with his wrx and i'm sure he can change the tires on that thing too
1: so if there's anyone else out there who has some questions they want to ask us or things they want to talk about or want us to talk about on the show, you don't even have to have a question. You just be like, hey, like, I'd like to hear you discuss this topic. There's a lot of ways you can get in touch with us. And uh, the easiest way is to go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form on there. You enter in all your information, and we totally don't sell that to uh the dark side of the web. Uh, You can also reach us at, on Twitter, Sammy is there with his handles at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I prefer Instagram, which is just kind of friendlier and I think a better class of people, Sammy. And uh, you can reach me at Hunting Benjamin, or you can just email Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com.
0: Now, one more thing we need to add is that uh, if you go to our website, you can subscribe to the podcast using a bunch of buttons uh, on the top of the website. Or if you don't want to do that, you don't want to go to the website, you can just subscribe to us through your podcast client. If it's Spotify or, or if it's uh, Pocket Cast or whatever you've got, you can just search for us. You should be able to find us and subscribe that way. So uh, we're very um, – we, we love to hear you guys do that. Additionally, if you are an iTunes um, user – why don't you leave a review or some feedback that would really go a long way? One, for helping us make the podcast a little bit better. And two, it helps uh, other people find our podcast, gives them an idea of what they can expect when they listen. So really, it means a lot to us. Uh, we're asking for one small favor, um, although we're not going to follow up with it next week. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and uh,
1: speaking speaking of... Uh... Mm what's coming up and what to expect. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the Acura MDX, the 2020 Acura MDX, which is a vehicle I have not, I haven't driven an MDX in a long time and I'm spending a week with it. And I, you know, after having the Telluride and the Palisade run through my system, I'm very curious to see how that affects my impression of this, which is a a mainstream luxury vehicle.
0: Okay. And next week, I'll be talking about um a new mini John Cooper Works Countryman, which has also gotten that 300 horsepower engine that I was talking about in the BMW 2 series. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about just what a 300 horsepower mini feels like.
1: All right. And once again, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope to have you back next week.
0: Bye.